Welcome to Talking Heads on USA Global TV, starring the one and only wonderful Dr. Jacqueline. It's a prestigious place where world-class influencers and experts meet, and where you'll find the most trusted advisors and coaches for all things in life and business. Visit usaglobaltv.com to sign up for our newsletter, get the value you need, and be first in line to learn about events and giveaways and other valuable content. Connect with us. Email Dr. Jacqueline at usaglobaltv.com to talk about how you can become part of USA Global TV. That's USA Global TV, where the doctor is always in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to USA Global TV and radio. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck, the president, founder, and chief listening officer here at our network. My dear friend and partner, Mr. Alcini, has the day off. You are in a real treat for the business talk show. This is a show for business people. And it's very interesting because our guest today has extensive experience, not only in the military, not only in the corporate world, but also in his own businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's the success incubator, and he has wisdom, expertise, and knowledge to share with us today. Let's welcome Mr. John Knotts from San Antonio, Texas. Welcome, sir. Welcome out. I am looking around to see who you're talking about here, but I guess. <laughs> that would be you. I really enjoyed our conversation backstage and just doing the research, your LinkedIn and the information you sent over. We were chatting about the fact that my understanding for Mr. Sini is there are 6 million coaches on LinkedIn. Many of these are business coaches who don't own a business or have never owned a business. You own multiple businesses, very successful. What value does it bring to the client, the consumer, the customer to have that experience in the business world? Well, I think that the the most important value it can bring is that you know exactly what a business owner is going through. When you're advising somebody on how to start up a new business, grow, scale, or improve a business, and you've never done it, then what are you really advising on? I mean, I know as a coach working on certifications through ICF that officially a coach doesn't really have to know what you're doing because they're not really an advisor. But from my perspective, if I don't know what you're going through, if I don't know what you're going to deal with, then how can I help you? So actually having experience over the last 15 years in starting, running, and even closing businesses, I know exactly what people are dealing with. I understand it. And that's, I think, really important. Great answer. Thank you. John, I watch a lot of Shark Tank with my mother. And we hear Mr. Wonderful say over and over again, you don't actually have a business, you have a hobby. So (laughs) as business owners, how do we know when we really do have a business? And then I have a follow-up question from that. That's a fantastic question because there's a lot of people out there that are running hobbies. When... You answer this question, how hard do you want to work? (laughs) 
with, I don't really want to work that hard, then it probably isn't a business because truthfully business people are working extremely hard, especially when they're starting out. But I don't care how big the company gets, the CEO, the president, the owner, whatever it might be, they are always working extremely hard. And I've worked with people that where I, they've said, I want to make more money. And I lay out, here's the things you need to do to make more money. And <laughs> they respond with, well, I don't want to work that hard. Well, then you really don't want to make more money. You, you just want people to give you more money. And honestly, you're in the wrong opportunity here. But there's a lot of people that they, they run businesses that aren't making any money, which is really sad. I'll ask a lot of people that have started out and they're struggling, how much money are you actually making today? And sometimes the answer is nothing. And I was like, well, then basically you're just, you just have a hobby. You don't really have a business. Good points. I'm back here going, oh, because I work seven days a week. I'm behind this green screen. And I have, you know, I left the corporate world in 2020, but I have a number of friends who want to get together and they're like, what do you mean you have to work? It's Sunday. Yeah. Well, if the work doesn't get done, there's no, we're not going live. You know, there's a lot. But you must do. love what you do. I love it. I love it. See, love that's it, love the, it. that's the big thing is a lot of people get into business for the wrong reason and they don't love what they do. So it's not a passion. I get up every single day wanting to do what I do. I love it. So like, if I didn't feel that way, I would find a different profession because it really doesn't feel like work. I work every day, every single day, because I consider a lot of what I do every day as part of my job. Even posting on LinkedIn and commenting on other people's stuff, getting engaging conversations going, for me, that is part of my job. I, I have a, a vision statement that I will leave nothing in my wake but success. And to me, that means from the moment that I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, every interaction that I have, whether written, conversational, face-to-face -face, or virtually, it doesn't matter. I want them to leave feeling like they just got something better. Like, man, I can implement that today. So every day I'm on LinkedIn sharing my message and discussing other people's messages with them. And it's because I absolutely love what I do. What a key point you just made. And I hope our audience, whether you're listening, watching on the live or the replay, social media is a necessity. I spend hours and hours every week, but I can't tell you, John, how many business owners come here at this platform and they'll say, I can't be bothered with it. I don't understand it. It's a waste of time. <laughs> what do you say to them? Well, first off, you have to leverage social media for your business. If you're not doing it, then you are just leaving out a great deal of people. There are a lot of people that will only like, oh, I don't mess with that pro that platform. Well, that's you're just, again, you're leaving money on the table. Social media, for one thing, is absolutely free. Yes, you can pay for ads, but you don't have to. You can just share your message. You can share what's going on. Don't pitch. That's an advertisement. Advertisements don't belong in your personal profile. What does belong is what you are experiencing, the things that you understand, the things that you know, and the things that you don't know. That makes the most powerful stuff. 
is when you ask questions. But when, and I have a really good friend who is an executive recruiter. And during this great resignation, a lot of executives have left the job only to find that they don't have a network. Their network was back in the company that they belonged in. Now they're like without a network and they have no voice and they have no thought leadership and nothing to really talk about who they are or what they do. And they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get ahead. And they all this time, you have the opportunity. I actually have an article on Forbes on this very subject that you have to get out there and you have to promote yourself, your business consistently and constantly. And that doesn't mean, I mean, everybody when they grow their business is going to have some kind of marketing department that's going to manage the corporate image and the corporate media. But individually, you probably should have something. And if they don't, if they're just like, oh, it's, I'm not interested in that, this is, well, you're not interested in connecting with people and people won't know who you are. And connection is key. I agree with yeah. everything you just said. People retire from the corporate world and now they're no longer relevant. They, ha they had a big job and a lot of power. And as soon as they step down from that, it's kind of like, oh, you're an outsider now. So I hope people are taking notes because these are key points. You have, in addition to being a, a business coach, you also have other businesses in other areas. You are a, a Toastmaster, a published author, a professional speaker, a doctoral student, and you have diverse interests. So I'd like to find out from you, I've been told prior and even now that I'm interested in too many things. I'm too curious and I love learning new things and I incorporate them into what I'm doing. What are your thoughts about that? Are we supposed to be in the straight and narrow, stay in our highway? So I have a question kind of back at you is like, why do you do the things that you do? If I you do them, them with purpose, <laughs> no, yes. this is really important. See, I, for the last 22 plus years, I've been following a strategy. I know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it every day, every conversation, every action activity I do is a determination of whether or not it is moving the needle on my goals. So I'm learning a lot of things. Obviously, I've, these are real books. <laughs> this isn't a made up background. I have a lot of interests and those interests are very specific to what it is that I'm trying to be in my life, where I'm going in my life. A lot of people, they kind of just do stuff like, oh, I was just talking to one of my coaching clients last week and he said, ah, I'm writing a book. I said, why are you writing a book? And he started to explain to me what the book was about. And I kind of listened to it for a while and I said, why are you writing a book? Look, what purpose does it serve for your life? And he really couldn't answer that. He just thought it would be a good idea to write this book. And that's the big thing that we really have to determine. We can be super busy doing all kinds of great things when they have purpose. But if we're super busy and up until 35 years old, I was super busy doing stuff that was leading nowhere. And then 22 years ago, everything changed and my life developed purpose. And suddenly everything I did, college made sense. The specific courses that I was taking, that made sense. 
I knew what I was working for. It wasn't about getting a diploma. It was about getting the knowledge that I needed to be able to show that I am capable of doing this. Every certification, all my networking activities, Toastmasters and writing books, <laughs> all of this stuff has led to that effort. So my question is always, why are you doing it? And that is a great question. And I appreciate your sharing your, your background and the, this approach you use with your clients. I would say for myself, when I was in corporate, I did a lot of things that really didn't have purpose. I think it was because I was bored with where I was. And I thought, oh, let me try this and try, let me try insurance, real estate. And today I am so focused on what I'm doing that I'm always regularly turning down things to do because it doesn't fit in with what my goals are. And I think people think I'm a, a recluse, but I'm really not. It's I have a limited amount of time on this earth and I'm doing what I need to do to make a difference. I would say that all my networking activities are take place of that fun time because I find that so we only have the same amount of hours in the day. We all do, right? Well, the opportunity is to figure out how do you best use those hours? So I call it productive versus non-productive time. When you're looking at your life, everything productive in your life is moving you towards your goals. Everything that's not productive in your life isn't. Sitting and watching TV, cleaning the house, sleeping, these things are all non-productive. It doesn't mean they're not necessary. Because non-productive could be non-productive, but value added, like I'm reading a good book, but it's not associated to my goals, or I'm painting because it expands my creativity, but it's not really focused on my goals, or it could be it's non-productive, but it's required. I have to eat, I have to sleep, and, and I do get good sleep too, but it's not going to help me with my goals. It's going to help me with my health. We can figure out in that non-productive space, what are the things that are not helping us reach our goals that either we can stop doing, like watching useless TV shows, or we can outsource it, like mowing the lawn. <laughs> it needs to be done. It has to be done, especially if you live in an HOA, <laughs> but you don't have to do it yourself. You can outsource that. You can have somebody else do it, unless it's part of your health re <laughs> regimen. But those things are really important that you figure that all out. Extremely important, yes. And what about as business owners, and I have been guilty of this, uh, I've taken a step back, but we're so heads down working in the business instead of taking a step back and sort mm. of like flying over like an eagle and saying, okay, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's our goal? Are we on point to get to where we need to go? Instead, we're like, I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's almost like we're juggling balls at a, a circus that no one's attending. So <laughs> what can you share with our audience about that? When you're, when you're, so everybody uses this in the business, on the business concept, but very few people actually know how to get themselves working on the business and working, getting working out of the business. What happens is that when we start out a business, we tend to do everything, especially solopreneurs. We, we're doing all the marketing. We're putting out the newsletter. We're doing all of our social media. The thing is, is that as a business owner, you need to create your organizational chart. All right. That's like in my book, that's step three 
of scale, creating the organizational chart and how you are going to deliver your operating model, your operations. So when you do that, you put your name in every single box of that organizational chart because you're doing all the work. Understanding now that marketing, I'm doing all the marketing myself. Now I have to make a decision. Do I want to get myself out of that job? And if I do want to get myself out of that job, then I need to find the right people to replace me. And I need to give them the right processes, the right approaches, the right programs to effectively do that job. Because I've probably been tying it together with bailing wire, and, you know, just kind of making it happen. But if you do that, if you create this organizational chart, all of my clients, this is one of the normal things they have to have. And they put themselves in all the boxes. They can understand, is it really worth it for me to do that job? Or do I need to outsource that? Or do I need to just get rid of it? But if I do outsource it, I need to make sure that I'm getting the right person. And then I have them set up for success. So often we hire somebody to take on a role that we don't even understand. And then we wonder why it's not working because we never really defined the role. We never designed how to, it should work. We never set any processes in place. And I see this typically with marketing and sales, sometimes with operations, because people will start to outsource what they do. But you have to determine, like, what is it that I will no longer do? I will always write all of my posts on LinkedIn and social, other social media sites. I will always be the one commenting on all of that. There's a point where that's really not that scalable anymore. And I see what happens to people, they, they outsource it and they get virtual administrators and stuff like that to basically respond for them, to like other people's stuff and make comments which add no value. And I see the effect of it. It's so easy to point out. So you have to be very careful about what you end up outsourcing from in your work to get you working on the work. And what is working on the work really is about establishing that strategy, developing the vision, moving yourself to the thinking you know, five, 10, 20 years in the future. What is this going to look like? Where are we going? What am I doing today that's actually going to reach that? And then making the connections that you need to to be able to be successful. I agree. Thank you. And John, prior to the pandemic, I don't know that we saw this as much, but now we see A-list celebrities who are actually using social media themselves. They're not behind a publicist or a manager, and they know the power of the social media, and we know that it's them. When we start hiring people to pretend that they're us, that's really not authentic. And to our loyal customers and followers and even our competitors were sending a message. Hey, I'm too busy to be me right now. So I got to hire someone else to act like they're me. What do you think about that? Some of the places where you actually see this a lot is on TikTok, because there are some celebrities that are becoming very popular on TikTok, but they're the ones and you can't fake that. It's not like you can, maybe you've got a whole recording crew that's doing this for you, but you really can't fake it. A, a good example of this is uh, Gary V. So obviously Gary V. a lot of people know him. He's very popular. He's quoted a lot. 
if you've ever really watched what's going on with Gary V, he's got like five or six people following him all day long, videotaping him with their phones and with cameras. And they're, they're capturing everything about what he says, what he does. And then what they're doing is they're chopping it up into little tiny bite-sized pieces. And they're putting it out there in all kinds of different ways. So this is still him and his message. The question then is when somebody actually replies to it, how do you respond to that? And when you have when you have a hundred thousand followers or more, even fifty thousand followers, your notifications will explode and you have to learn how to control that. But the challenge is having that authentic voice and being able to respond to people is always going to be a challenge as you, you grow because that scale is, it's just so hard. So you have to think through now, if you're just starting out in social media, how am I going to do this when it grows? How am I going to do it when I double my, my notifications and my emails are like a hundred of day and I'm trying to just respond to people. And I know I've worked with people that they're dealing with this right now and they have, responses in their inbox that say, sorry, I've got a lot of messages. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And they're just deleting things because they just can't respond that much. But you have to scale. This is a good point is that business scale is all about preparing for the growth. If you're trying to scale a business because you've grown and now your business is breaking, you're in trouble. You need to be thinking about now, how could this grow? I just talked about last week, scenario planning and actually thinking about what if scenarios, realistic stuff, not like aliens coming down and taking all your staff. I'm talking about realistic things that might happen in your business that could be a really good thing, but turn out to be a really bad thing if you're not prepared for it. And when we talk about scalability, at what point should we as business owners be putting together an exit strategy? Is that when we first open, we're already thinking about the end? <laughs> when do we actually set something up for that? <laughs> that is, so it should be part of your, I, I believe that there should be two strategies in your business. When you're starting out and you're small, it's a strategic business plan. You, everybody knows the business plan. You can download it from the internet. I don't recommend that you do that because it always lacks the strategic part of it. But if that strategic business plan contains all of the elements that you should have as far as strategy in an organization, as your organization grows and it develops a marketing and a finance and a human resources, all these teams that are separate, and it's not just a couple of people that are running things, then what happens is you just go to a strategic plan and then all the operational business plan aspects of it are spread amongst those different departments. Marketing is figuring out what its strategy is to deliver on the strategy. Operations is delivering their strategy to deliver on the business strategy. So that strategic plan becomes higher level. Part of that initial strategic planning activity is that you identify what is your expectation with this business? Where are you taking it? Are you building to sell? Are you building to give to your kids? Are you building because you want the people that you work with to take it over? 
So my wife and I, we own a 100 acre horse farm. We were talking about this before the show. And it's one of the largest equestrian facilities in San Antonio, Texas area. We have 40 horses on property. I have a property manager that has been with us since the very beginning. And we have a barn manager and they have, they have gotten married. And we've already sat down with them and said, listen, we don't have any kids. This is going to be your business. We're going to hand this business over to you. So we're already prepping, prepping them to learn how to take over this business in the future. You got to be thinking about that. I had a client here locally who ran a, it was a specialty items creation program where, you know, where you can get logo shirts and business cards, you know, the common, you know, printing type business. And his intention was to give it to his kids, but his kids were still young. And unfortunately he passed away. Nobody was prepared to take that. As a matter of fact, nobody even knew how to contact the customers that he had worked with to let them know what had happened. That's because he never really planned for it. He knew what he wanted to do, but he wasn't putting everything in motion. And we've made sure that everything that we're doing is in motion. So the moment that you, you sit down and you start even thinking about a business, think about what is your expectation of this business? Am I going to stay with it until it, I, you know, I, I'm not going to do it anymore and I'm just going to stop doing it? Or am I going to give it away or am I going to sell it? Got to make those decisions up front. Everything you're saying is really resonating with me, and I'm sure it is with our audience as well. While we're in the process of growing, at some point, we have to trust other people. <laughs> we have to trust other people with our baby. Our little baby was small, and now the baby's starting to grow. And sometimes, I speak from personal experience, sometimes it doesn't work out so well, and you get burned. And then you're not so likely to reach out again. But we have to put that aside, don't we, to, in order to grow the business? In, in certain areas, yes. There's there's a couple ways to grow a business, okay? Growth means more revenue. That's really all it means. You can grow by getting more customers. You can grow by adding more products, more services. You can grow by bundling. But you can also grow by raising your rates. And you can just work with the same amount of clients for more money and still make more money. So there's a decision that you have to make. But there will come a point where you have to make that decision of in scale, do I need to hire somebody or do I need to outsource something to somebody? And really what is important, and we've learned this with our horse farm, is that we've gone through like five barn managers since we opened up. Some of them seemed like they were the right person. And then as we grew, we knew what our vision was, you know, we knew where we were going, but when we started to grow, that person wasn't comfortable in that position anymore. And they had to move on because it, they weren't doing a very good job and they knew it. But that's one of the big things when you're, when you're doing this and you're starting to hire and you hire the wrong person, sit back and look at why was that the wrong decision? What did I do wrong? What decisions did I make? Did I move too quickly? Was I just trying to fill a slot? I didn't really give them any guidance. Or did I hire the wrong person? Did I miss all of the signals that would have told me that this person wasn't the right fit? You have to examine your process. And then if you still need to do it, 
you need to adjust and hire again and figure out, okay, that didn't work, but I have learned. Now I want to change my approach and hire somebody a little bit different. Often we, I, I find this with a lot of people who contact me about coaching and they have told me that they have been burned by business coaches before who did not deliver anything. And I'm not that coach. I'm a totally different coach. And hopefully they have learned what to look for in a coach. The experiences that that coach has, the education, the background, that's the stuff that's important. A lot of times we get to a point in scale that we're like, I can't handle this anymore. I have to get rid of it. So you just hire somebody and it becomes like the first person or the cheapest person. And you don't really do the due diligence to understand, is this the right person to do the job? Really interesting comments that you've made there. You also brought up the word price. And I know from having interviewed a number of entrepreneurs, especially women, that women don't always know what their value is and they don't necessarily, and it could be men as well. Let's just say people in general. So should we take the approach after doing research and see what our competitors are doing, what the market will bear, et cetera. Should we go in with a premium service level pricing and wait for the one ship to come in or two or three, or do we go with the, the lower price for the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and get more volume? It's the question about when you start out and how you should do this. Yes. When okay. you start out. All right. So that's, that's a very specific question. So if you are starting out, I recommend, so you have to build your systems. You're only by building systems, will you be able to scale your business growth? Even a little bit of growth is going to kill you if you do not have systems. So you need to have these things in place. I recommend that when you're starting out, especially if you already have a job, do this for free. Do it with people who need it you know them, they're friends of you, non-profit, whatever it might be, but do it for free for people so that they're getting the value out of it and you're getting the, exp the experience and the expertise to be able to establish your systems. When your systems are set and you understand what value you provide, now you have a much better idea of how much you should charge. And really, it's about what will the market bear? You've set it. The biggest thing is you can set your rates at all kinds of prices and some people are going to pay it. I, in a year ago, little over a year ago, I doubled my price. I thought I would reduce some of the current customers I had. And that wasn't true. They stayed with me. But I found it was harder to get new clients because my price was twice as much. And people were like, oh, I don't know you. And that's a lot of money. And I don't know if I want to spend that kind of money. And so it slowed the growth process. And that's something that you have to really consider when you set those high premium prices that you're only going to get the people that either know you through connections, which you could have made through the free volunteer activities that you did, or they're going to take a chance on you. And that doesn't happen a lot. So when it when you start out, that's one of the things you have to consider. When it comes to how much are you worth, how much do you need, just take a look at, well, how much do I need to survive? If I am currently have a job, what am I making now? 
that can be broken down into an hourly rate ratio. You take whatever your annual rate is and you divide it by 2,080. That is 2,080 full-time hours in one year. That's your basically your available time. That will tell you this is how much I'm making hourly. Now, I want you to think about the fact that if you're going to go work for yourself and you're going to start charging people, then you have to pay for all the the stuff, the benefits, healthcare, dental, vision, <laughs> everything that you had as a employee, you have to figure out how you can finance that. And that also has to be included into that annual cost and divided by 2,080 hours. Then you have to think about how much time do you want off? Or you want to take, most people, they want to work for themselves because they want freedom. They want to be able to take some time with their family when they want to take some time. And trust me, you were working for one boss before. Now you're going to be working for a lot of bosses. Those are called customers. And they are a little bit more demanding sometimes than the boss that you worked for. So just keep that in mind. But you want to plan out, okay, I'm going to take off maybe a month a year. That's my plan. So you just took that 2080 and you cut it down by two months worth of work or one month worth of work and said, okay, that's all I'm going to make. On top of that, <laughs> it doesn't end there. You have to think about half of your time is probably going to be spent running the business, marketing the business, building the systems, working on your technology challenges, whatever it might be, just putting things together. You're going to spend at least half of your time doing that. So whatever that time was available after vacations, now you have to cut that in half. And then you figure out, okay, now I know what my hourly rate should be, which is going to be a lot higher than what you were making when you're working for some company. And that's something that a lot of people don't take into consideration. I'm just thinking about what you shared. Yes. Uh, really insightful. So if you are the entrepreneur who has left the corporate world and you've decided, okay, I'm all in. This is what I'm doing. I'm not actually taking any vacations. I'm just going to be working day and night until, until what? That is my question. <laughs> Cause I've heard people say that I'm like, until what, what's going to happen? Smoke is going to come in the air. There's flags waving. What? I, I break things into threes. I, I find this to be very common. Most businesses take three months to see their first sale. They take three years to really break even and be working. So your first three years of your business is usually you working very hard at making that business work. You're going to be, you probably will be hiring people, but you'll be hiring the wrong people. You'll be determining what's the right fit. What kind of employees do we really want with this company? Because you really don't know. It's just you. And a lot of us, we like to model ourselves and, you know, find that, that that's a kind of a standard hiring practice, but it's not always the best hiring practice because we want to make sure that we're getting the right person for the right job. They talk about that in the entrepreneur operating system, getting the right person in the right seat. That's really important. So when you're thinking about how long is this really going to take, you gotta, you're going to have to plan to give it some time. 
you're not going to be making money right off the bat unless you already know somebody as you're walking out the door that's in your personal network that's going to hire you. But even that will dry up and you still have to market and get in there and get those other jobs lined up so that you have stuff whenever that engagement ends. But I'll tell you that typically what I see is people don't make money for the first three months and they don't stick with it past two because it, it gets painful because most people don't have more than two months worth of savings. And then they, they're like, oh, this isn't going to work. And they go back to the corporate world. But really to seriously say that I'm not going to be working as hard, I'll be able to really start taking vacations and time off. It's going to be about three years. And I think that's so important for people. If you really are passionate about what you're doing, it's like you give yourself that trap door that you're going to fall through the trap door and go back to corporate as opposed to just staying with it because you never know. You know what's going to happen when you say, that's it, I'm done. You already went there. You're going to go back there again. You weren't happy and you left. So why are you going back? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. But I do hear it over and over again, John, that people are they can't deal with the uncertainty about where the money's coming from. People talk about the money all the time. And meanwhile, there's such abundance that we get from being passionate about what we're doing and helping other people. Yeah. So Reed Hoffman with um, his book, Masters of Scale, he talks about there is no plan B. So, you know, you got to have in, in when you're going into business, you kind of have to have a mentality of the burn the bridges. I'm not going back and I need to make sure that that doesn't happen. A lot of people, they want to protect themselves. And so they keep all those doors wide open, which means that, you know, you're constantly over there holding the doors open and keeping that alive. And you're not focusing hundred percent on what you're trying to do. And when you do that, you will not be that successful because you're always going to have one foot back in the job that you used to have. And that's not going to be helpful. You're going to grow a lot slower with your business. Personally, I believe 100% in abundance. Abundance is doing things without expecting a return. There is the law of compensation, but there's also the law of reciprocity. And those two universal laws work together. If you do things because you want to give and just keep giving without expecting a return, then returns will come. They won't necessarily be in monetary amounts. And some people don't even care about the monetary amount, especially when they're working in nonprofit. But it definitely is going to come back to you. And there's one way that you can really determine whether or not you're operating from a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. The question to ask yourself is that, have you ever given a Christmas gift or a birthday gift to somebody and then they didn't give you one back and you said internally or to someone else, I'm not giving them another gift because they didn't give me anything. If that's what you're saying, if that's what you are, then you're operating from a scarcity mindset because the only reason that you gave a gift was because you expected something in return. And anytime that you do anything and listen to people, they'll say it in their conversations. 
anytime that you do something with an expectation of something to return and then you quit because you didn't get it, then you have a scarcity mindset. And John, I want to take that one step further. How many times have we heard someone bring up something they did for us in the past? Oh, 10 years ago, I did X, Y, Z for you. Five years, it's like, okay, are you back there? Because I'm over here. And that's not the kind of mindset that we need as entrepreneurs either. Well, it's it, the, the expectation is that I've been waiting five years for you to pay me back. <laughs> and it's like, no, you didn't do it for that reason. That's just a flawed mentality. But everything is with people in business. Everything is an exchange. If I do this, if I put this much work into it, then I'm going to get this much out of it. They don't really see when I was in the military, there's this thing about perceived and earned benefit. This was like a very good lesson from a senior chief master sergeant in the air force. And he, he was tell, talking to me about this, that people, we go into things with this perceived benefit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this back from, we don't pay attention to the things that we're getting out of it. Like every experience we talked about, you know, you hire the wrong person. Do you look at it like, oh man, I gave that person a job and they didn't, you know, they didn't do, and I wasted my time. It's all blah, 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 me, 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 problems, problems, problems. I'm a victim. Or do you say, man, I learned so much about hiring the wrong person and what I shouldn't do in the future. And I'm really glad that I was able to give that person an opportunity to maybe even learn from themselves what they don't like doing or what they're not good at doing. And I've learned that this is how I need to change maybe the job or myself or the company as a whole. That's a totally different way of looking at it. And now you are putting yourself in the creator role. Now, all these things work together. The people, you know, they want to talk about mindfulness and emotional intelligence and the victim role and all this stuff. It goes in. It's one big system of things that are happening. And it's how we respond to things and what we look at and what we expect from them. And when we do stuff for no expectation at all back they're just giving, then people will recognize that. John, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. I didn't even run the sponsorships and we're over time. So that just Oops. goes to show you. I hope you'll come back again. Everybody check I'd out the sponsors. <laughs> I'd love to continue this conversation with you and also talk to you about the horse farm. I think people are really intrigued by that. I know I am and just communing with the animals and also having it as a business. So please do come back and see us before you go. You mentioned to me backstage that you have a very full schedule. You're not necessarily looking for more clients. How can our audience assist you and how can they reach out to you? What would you like people to take away from this? So join me in the conversation. I, I was just writing a, a piece for a magazine on systems thinking. And one of the things that you do or can do to grow your systems thinking mindset is by encouraging people around you to grow into, you know, we'll, we'll use the overused term mastermind, 
but basically you get those like-minded people that want to talk about the same things and have those conversations. Just last week, individual that I had met through LinkedIn, we had a conversation, a one-on-one, and it was fantastic. And he asked me, he's like, how do you determine when you've never met anybody on LinkedIn that this is somebody that's actually going to you know, add value and help you and you really spend time working with them? And I mean, that was a really deep question. Didn't exactly have the answer to it. But what it did is it really made me think about what do I look for? Who am I looking for? And what do I do when I find that person? How do I engage with them? Because it's not just about engaging on my posts, but it's also me going and engaging on yours and creating that environment of learning, lifelong learning, as you've talked about. I'm big into that. A lot of different things I could talk about on that too. But I think that that's the biggest thing that if somebody's like, man, I'd really like to help out John. Well, help me out by building on my what I don't know uh, that I don't know list because there's a lot of it. We don't know a lot of things and we only through conversations and discussions can we evaluate that and then fill in the blanks that we don't even know exist. Thank you for that call to action, John. And for people who are not able to read the banner or they're on the radio, can you please give your contact information? So it's John, J-O-H-N dot Knotts, K-N-O-T-T-S. Yes, I am related to Don Knotts. He's a cousin. I am the owner of Crosscutter Enterprises. And the email address is john.knotts at crosscutter.com. The website is www.crosscutter.com. That's C-R-O-S-S-C-T-R.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always there. Thank you so much. And thank you to Mr. Al Sini who connected us. And we're sorry, Al, that you're not with us today. You missed a great show. Miss you, Al. <laughs> we missed you, Al. And again, John, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all of this vitally important information for me, as well as all of the other business owners out there. Awesome. I hope it helps somebody. Definitely. You helped me for sure. <laughs> All right. We look forward to seeing you again on this or any of our other 28 shows. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you to each and every one of you who watch our shows or listen to our shows, whether it's on the live or the replay. We did send out our newsletter today, the Global Post. So if you haven't seen it, please go over to our website, usaglobaltv.com, and you can subscribe there. Our next show is coming up. It's a show for men, by men, about men. And our host and moderator is Mr. Roland Friedel, and he brings men from across the world to talk about men's issues. The show is called Wild at Heart, Bonfire Talks, Real, Authentic, Uncut. You won't see me there. I'll be behind the scenes producing the show. Thanks again to John. Thank you to Al. And thank you to each and every one of you. We'll be back shortly. 